I like that. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great song? I don't know that I'd heard that before, actually. But that's, uh, that's terrific. Um, you leaving? Are you leaving me up here by myself to do this thing? Are you supposed to do it before the song? Oh, I was supposed to do it before the song. Oh, oh I was? I didn't know that. Okay. Stay, stay. You guys stay. Just, I need Dave. I need Dave. The rest of you guys, can, can, you, you may be dismissed, okay? But, uh, but uh, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. A uh, little, little foul up there on my part. Um, um, we, we did, actually Steve did some hard work for this. We wanted to give you ten things to be thankful for. Little ten reasons, little, little, little top ten signs you've eaten too much at Thanksgiving, okay? And... Um, um, actually, this comes directly from a few years ago from the Letterman Show, and, uh, and uh, it's a good way to start things off here, all right? So you be, you be ready back there, okay? Um, ten things. Number ten, all right? Let's start with number ten. Hundreds of volunteers have started to stack sandbags around you. It's a good sign that you've probably eaten a little too much, all right? Number nine. Doctors tell you your weight would be perfect for a man 17 feet tall. <laughs> If you like that, I just need to grow a few inches here. I'd be okay. And number eight, uh, you are responsible for a slight but measurable shift in the Earth's axis. <laughs> number seven, um, right this minute, you're laughing up on the carpet. No, that's, that's terrible. Number six, <laughs> you decide to take a little nap and wake up in mid-July. I felt that way. Uh, number five. The world's fattest man sends you a telegram warning you to back off. Now, number four. Here, you ready for number four? Uh, Rich Teeters threatens you with eternal damnation if you don't lose weight. That comes, for those of you who don't know, okay, that comes from something I did a couple of weeks ago that I sincerely regret, and I haven't heard the end of it since, is when I said if you order more tickets than what you use for the Christmas concert, you may likely, you may go to hell for that. I said something like that. I don't know what happened to me. Charlie was behind me, and he was, you know, kind of pushing me on. But, but um, um, and, uh, and so that's where that comes from, all right? So anyway, I, we all say things we regret. Number three, um, getting off your couch requires help from the fire department. Number two. Every escalator you step on immediately grinds to a halt. That's a, that's a sign you got problems. All right, you ready for number one? Number one reason. <laughs> You're sweating gravy, all right? <laughs> there we go. Thank you, David. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> um, kind of a light way to enter into this subject, but it's a good way to enter into this subject because as the song talked about, when we talk about thankfulness, we think about blessings, and, and, and we should do that. So I don't want you to miss anything today from doing that. Some of you have been doing that hopefully all weekend. Heck, hopefully not just this weekend. All right? And, and that's one of the things we do. But you know, one of the things that always interests me, I mean, let's face it, that's pretty easy to do. When we sit around and, and we think about some of the great blessings that God has given us, and we can just say, man, God, thanks so much. I mean, it's easy to do. It, 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 sometimes we take it for granted and we, and we don't like we should. But, but some, you know, it, it's fairly easy. Here's what's difficult for me, and I think for many of us, and that is, what about when there's been a huge disappointment in your life? And maybe it's a series of disappointments. Maybe it has to do with your career. Maybe it has to do with your family. Maybe it has to do with your friends. Maybe it has to do with just you. And then you're told, according to the scriptures, to be thankful, just as thankful. I really want to address that today. Last week, we kind of talked a little bit about being thankful and, and touched on it a bit, but I really want to address this. And here's how I'm going to address this. I'm going to take you 
to, I, I, I'm hesitant to say my favorite person in Scripture, um, but he is, other than Jesus, he's, he's right up there. And, and I want to, and, and I'm not an expert on much. I suppose if there's one person in Scripture that I know probably other than Christ the most about and one that I just read and read and read and every scholar's opinion on it is probably King David. We have David, you know, if, 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 you can, if I can say it this way, David is a very, very good friend of mine. He doesn't know me, but I know him very well. And in a sense, I know him better than Jesus in this way. I never knew, you know, with Jesus, Jesus is God. And you never know exactly when people say, what would Jesus do? Well, we don't always know what Jesus would do. He was God, and he surprised us. David, I can predict like a book, because I know David. I know, I know, I know, his, I know his flaws. I know his strengths. And I've read, you know, obviously I have the, I have the advantage of history uh, to, to know him. So, so David's a, a little different in that way. And I know David very, very well. And I think I can get into his skin on this particular passage, um, and, and I kind of want to invite you to do that with me, because really our, our, our subtitle on this thankful, tis the season to be thankful, is living thankfully without becoming entitled. Living thankfully without becoming entitled. Um, and I want to take you to this passage in the Old Testament, where the Ark of the Covenant, which in the Old Testament... And if you saw the movie, the first Indiana Jones, you, you were introduced, if you didn't know about it before, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the embodiment, at least, if not literally, certainly figuratively and symbolically, of the presence of God. And the Ark of the Covenant, we believe, historians tell us, was some sort of a, some sort of a rectangular-looking type of box, maybe sort of a, maybe sort of a, a tall and fat coffin type of looking uh, object, we think. Uh, from what historians tell us. Um, and it had been taken away by the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel. And uh, they had just brought it back to Jerusalem. And on the way back to Jerusalem, David was so excited about it, he's dancing. They're having this big parade coming into Jerusalem, and he's dancing in his speedos, basically. Okay? He, uh, in, his, in a loincloth, the scriptures tell us. He's dancing because he's so excited about that. His wife, Michael, she's, she's not... She's, she's not She's not digging it. I mean, she's not too happy about her, her husband, the king of Israel, you know, dancing naked or half naked or almost naked in front of all of us. She says, this, isn't very, this isn't very presidential. I mean, this isn't very kingly is what she's saying and so forth. And he's like, this is the, this is the presence of God that's going to be blessing our country and, our, and our, town, our city again. This is something I can really get fired up about. So anyway, that was just the beginning of some of their problems. And of course, David takes care of that later on and marries two or three other women, which is, you know, always an easy thing to do. But without divorcing one, now just for the record, he had several wives and don't, don't, we won't go there right now. It's one of those great mysteries of scriptures, how God allowed that and how God could allow men who were men of God to have more than one wife and polygamy and the whole deal. Was that okay? And, and so, no, it's not okay. Never has been. But you know, every, every society, every society often has something that we look back on and we think, how could they have done that? I look back on people who were people of God in the 1800s who had slaves. How could they do that? How could anybody do that? You, you accept certain things. You know, who knows? Maybe a thousand years from now, people look back on our generation and say, how could those people be so, so incredibly materialistic? I mean, they may say that about us a thousand years from now. It's possible. God knows we all are. Um, 
We'll start with me, okay? Um, so, so my point is this. In, in every society, every generation, often there's something that God in his grace, you know, I don't, I don't want to say he closes his eyes to it, but it happens. And this was, this was the case with David. So he got more wives. But that's not my point. Here's my point. David is excited. I mean, he's excited about the presence of God being back where, he, where it should be in Jerusalem, the city of God. And he's so fired up that up until this time, this, this Ark of the Covenant had been in a, in, a, in a temporary tabernacle, a tent, basically. David is so fired up, he goes to his pastor, who in the Old Testament is called a prophet. His name is Nathan. And he says, Nathan, I, got, I, I tell you what I want to, I want to build, I want to build God a really cool house temple. Tab- I want to build him a permanent one. Here I am living in this great place. And this is where I want to pick up the story. We've got a lot of reading here. to Just follow along with me. I have it for you on PowerPoint. And, uh, and then we're going to make some application to it as we do that. But So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, when the Lord had brought peace to the land and King David was settled in his palace, David summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, here I am living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out in a tent. Nathan replied, go ahead and do what you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Nathan knows what he wants to do. Go ahead, he says, and do that. But the same night, the Lord said to Nathan, the prophet, preacher, pastor, if you will, although there are a lot of differences, we won't go into that now, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, are you the one to build me a temple to live in? I never lived in a temple from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until now. My home has always been a tent, moving from one place to another. And I've never once complained to Israel's leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar temple? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I chose you to lead my people Israel when you were just a shepherd boy, tending your sheep out in the pasture. I've been with you whenever you, were go- whenever you have gone, and I've destroyed all your enemies. Now I, make your name, I will make your name famous throughout the earth. And I have provided a permanent homeland for my people Israel, a secure place where they will never be disturbed. It will be their own land where wicked nations won't oppress them as they did in the past. From the time I appointed judges to rule my people, and I will keep you safe from all your enemies. And now the Lord declares that he will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. This is God talking to, 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 to David. I'm going to build you an eternal kingdom. More about that in just a moment. Look in verse 12. For when you die, I will raise up your descendants, and I will make this kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he'll be my son. And if he sins, I will use other nations to punish him. But, if, if my, but my unfailing love will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul. That was the first king of Israel, whom I, whom I removed before you. Your dynasty and your kingdom will continue for all time before me, and your throne will be secure forever. Now, just, a, just an interjection, a little theological parenthesis here real quick. Don't get hung up on this if you don't, if you don't care and, or don't know theology. But what he's talking about here is he's going to build David a kingdom that will last forever. What does that mean? Well, we're, basically, we're part of that kingdom, I believe, today in some ways. Because he's saying, you know, who, who was in David's lineage? Who, who, would, who was in David's family tree? Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. That's what God is telling him. He said, I'm going to raise up something greater than you can possibly imagine through your 
through your children and children's children. A kingdom that will last forever. Very, I mean, it's an incredible point. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said. Now we look at that and we say, wow, that's pretty cool. But now keep in mind, get in David's skin here for a moment. First of all, he's already got a dysfunctional family. He's got a bunch of kids all over the place. And, uh, and, 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 and it's not like you're having your two kids and, you know, you've got your four kids or whatever. He's got kids from already, and that's, that's beginning to get, he knows that's going to, you know, he knows he's going to be taking on some other wives and some other stuff that, that's going to be happening here. So this is, this is, can I say dysfunctional at best? Okay. The family situation. We'll deal with that more in a moment. But the big question is, how will David, how will David, this man that that the the Scriptures teaches, a man after God's own heart, how's he going to respond to what's going to be a huge disappointment? God just told Nathan to tell David, and Nathan just told David, okay, you're going to have a kingdom, it's going to be an eternal kingdom, which he's still thinking, now what in the heck does that mean? But here, real simple, here's what he's getting, the answer from this cool thing he wants to do for God. God's saying, no thanks. I don't want you building me some fancy schmancy temple. You know, that's a cool idea, but no. Now I gotta tell you, if I'm David, I'm like, gosh, God, I don't understand that. I really want to do this for you. It's something I really want to do. I mean, you you might even want to I don't know if you want to shake your fist at that point, but there's certainly going to be some disappointment between you and God, possibly thinking, how can this be, God? This is just, I just want to build you a nice temple. I just want to do that. And God says, no thanks. You're not the guy. Disappointment, to say the least. Now, all the other, all the other quote-unquote stuff, the incredible promises that, that God made to David here are, are phenomenal. Theologically, they have long-range implications, and I think David may have understood them to some degree, but maybe not, not that much. Well, here's David's response beginning in verse 18. Same chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he prayed, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family? that you brought me this far. And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving me a lasting dynasty? Do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? What more can I say? You know what I'm really like, sovereign Lord. He knows, I mean, this, is, this guy's made out of the same stuff you and I are made out of. Well, you know what I'm really like. For the sake of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have shown them to me. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no other God. We have, we have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you rescued your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your people forever and and you, O oh Lord, became their God. I mean, that's just phenomenal stuff. And he goes before God and he says, and I just, you just picture this. I get this picture in my mind of, of you know, this huge disappointment. You can't do this. I don't want you doing this. I'm going you're, you're, to take care of your family and I'm going to build something far beyond anything you can imagine, David. But no, you're not going to build me a temple. And here's David and he goes into the 
before God, he just says, oh God, who am I? And what is my family that you want to acknowledge us? I mean, that, folks, is the heart of gratitude. That's the heart of thankfulness. In the midst, forget everything else, in the midst of one huge disappointment in his life that he can't do for God what he wants to do. And he adds to this, and let me just just keep reading here because he goes on. um, Verse 25, And now, O Lord, do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever, and may your name be honored forever, so that all the world will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and may the dynasty of your servant David be established in your presence. O Lord Almighty God of Israel, I have been, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer because you have revealed that you will build a house for me, an eternal dynasty. For you are God. O sovereign Lord, your words are truth. And you have promised these good things to me, your servant. Now may it please you to bless me and my family so that our dynasty may continue forever before you. And and for when you grant a blessing to your servant, O sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. So he thanks God for what he's going to do. But I want to just, I just want to center in for a moment in in our just remaining time that we have. How do we respond to disappointment? And does our disappointment reveal how grateful we really are? Because you see, disappointment, disappointment in life can reveal how grateful we really are. David could have complained, God, I just wanted to do this for you. Come on. David could have said, you know, God, my best is not good enough. I do all this. He could have said any number of things, but he didn't do that. And now, the point that I want you to see is how we respond to disappointment reveals how grateful we really are. And, and here's the deal. Thankfulness should not be just a recollection of, 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 of your blessings. It, it certainly it involves that. But it's an understanding of who you are and who God is. And the, and the fact, and this is an important fact, that the world does not revolve simply around me. hope I didn't step on any toes with that statement learned a very interesting truth the other night. Yeah, some of you probably, yeah, you'll deal with it. Um, every now and then, for reasons I'm now beginning to figure out, which I'll tell you, I get invited to this poker game with some guys, most of whom, well, all of whom, come to church here, some, or a lot. And uh, I began to figure out why I get invited. Because they need somebody to finance their party. Um, and uh, so the other night, you know, I went, the first round goes through, and I last about, you know, 15 minutes. And, um, and I'm thinking, man, what am I So they do the second round. So you do your buy-in thing. It's not a lot of money, but I had a certain amount allotted, and I did that. And, uh, and I lasted, I think, three and a half minutes in that second round. Maybe four. Maybe four minutes. I don't know. And, and so I said, you know, what am I missing here? So these guys were really good. They're really gracious. And they, I mean, I just, you know financed their kids' education. Not, not literally, but anyway, I just bought their wife a good dinner or something. Anyway, um, um, they were very gracious, and they let me sit behind her, two or three of them, and I'd see, watch their cards. And I could just see what hand they have, and, and you know, when they would fold and so forth. I would, I, and, I was, I, and for those of you who don't, I don't, don't know me, I'm still not, this is, I didn't learn how to play poker. I didn't learn how to play poker about a couple of years ago. We didn't have 
play cards when I was a kid. But um, so um, you don't do that in, uh, where I was raised in the country and, and so forth in Ohio. So anyway, they let me watch the cards, and, then, and, and every time one of these guys would fold, I would be, and I couldn't say anything because the game's going on here, but I would say, I'd play. And one time I finally said, give me that hand. I'd bet my wife and kids on that hand, you know? And, and so they let me just, you know, they'd keep playing their game, and I would hold the, the cards here like this. And, and, and several times we did this, and every time, except one, every time, they would be right, the guy that folded, which I'm beginning to learn my problem here, you understand, okay? And I'm like, I don't get this. And then finally, after, I don't know, after th- almost through the evening was over, I'm like, I don't get this. I would, I would have played all these cards. I would have been out three or four more times, money-wise, and all this other kind of deal. I said, I don't understand you know, when you have a hand like that, why well, you don't go ahead and play that? And then, and then somebody, one of the guys said this to me, and it was really good. He didn't know what he was saying. He probably didn't know what he was saying. It was so wise. But um, I didn't mean it the way it sounded. But uh, he said this to me. He said, Rich, it's not just about you. It's what else is going on around here. He said, you may have the great, great hand. But you got to think, what's that guy got? What's that guy got? What's that guy got? And it was like, whoa. Whether you're playing poker or in a much greater, deeper sense in life, it's not just about you. It's what else is going on around here. And it's what's going on with others. And here's where my poker illustration falls down, but I think you're going to still relate to it. But it's also about something more than me and more than others. It's about God. And that's what David understood. David said, it's not just about me. It's not even just about my family, and thank you for blessing my family. It's about God. And here's what I want you to see in this thing, on this tail end of this Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day weekend. Thankfulness should not just be a recollection of your blessings, all right? Thanksgiving is not just about sitting and getting fat and watching football and recounting how thankful you are for all the good stuff in your life. It's much deeper than that. Thanksgiving, the kind that should happen every day, is about having a heart of gratitude to the one who gave you life itself. It's thankfulness to your creator no matter what happened in your life this year or this month. It's not about me. It's not even just about others. It's about who God is. We've got to grasp that concept. With uh, forgiveness, asking forgiveness, because I quoted from this book a couple weeks ago. I just finished it this week. Jack's Life Story of of C.S. Lewis. All the details. It's a great book. I've got all the details on uh, uh, action steps on the web, how to get this book. If you want to buy one, I don't benefit from that, just for the record. It's just a great book. and It's a good book, especially in light of what's happening December the 9th, which is uh, the Chronicles of Narnia coming out, which are packed with symbolism, just packed with it. So, but I finished this book this week, and, and something really struck me. I almost cried as reading it. It's written, it's, it's C.S. Lewis's life, written from the perspective of his stepson, who didn't get to know, who, who didn't come into C.S. Lewis's life. His name was also, he was also called Jack, um, because I guess Clive Staples didn't work too much for a, for a short name. And... Um, but his stepson wrote this. His stepson came into Jack's, into C.S. Lewis's life when he was eight years old. And he goes through his whole life, and it's a fascinating book. But I just want to read to you just, just a couple of paragraphs, because it really has a lot to do with this. 
And it just goes, and I, I don't have the time to tell you all about C.S. Lewis's life, but it was, it was one long adventure. But Jack had realized, C.S. Lewis, had realized by late 1961 that he was coming to the end of his eventful and productive life. He would live until 1963, by the way. Died on the same day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Which is one reason probably why we didn't hear a lot about that, those of us who remember that. Um, He was coming to the end of his eventful and productive life. He wasn't an old man, but he felt like an old man. It's important to realize he was ready to go on. Jack discovered one of the great secrets of life. That no matter what is actually happening around you, you can still be content if you hand your life over entirely to Christ. He settled into the contentment that's hard to understand. He had to retire from Cambridge University. He was no longer able to go for the long walks he had delighted in. He was not allowed to drink wine or beer, not allowed to eat anything other than a strict diet prescribed by his doctors. All the pleasures of his life had been taken away from him. His wife had died, by the way, too. All the pleasures of his life had been taken away from him, and also he'd been the, also the love of his life. And yet he was content. He was in, watch this, he was in that rare state which has physical disabilities and his emotional distresses no longer affecting his happiness or the lack of it. Watch this. He had finally become able to make God the center of his life. Gives me hope. He was well into his 60s. He was finally able to make God the center. That's thankfulness, folks. And that's what we need to understand in this whole journey of life. It's not about me. It's not, it's not always about others. It's about God. That's what it means when one willingly gives his life back to God. When one willingly decides to begin the process, and believe me, it's a process, of making God, making Christ the center of your life. It's not about me. It's difficult. There are setbacks. There are issues. There are problems, and we deal with them as they come. But it's about God. So on Thanksgiving weekend, hopefully you've recounted some of the great blessings that you have. I'm sure some of you have thought about some of the hiccups along the way that may be in the future, some of the potential potholes in the future. But let's be thankful, especially those of us who, who, are, who, are, who have, in, in, in whatever way, wherever we are in that spectrum, those of us who are people of faith or seeking to be people of faith, be thankful for just who God is and what he has done, for giving us life in and of itself, for giving us Christ, sending Christ to live and suffer and die and be resurrected on the third day to give us the ability to, to know God, to have a relationship with our God and our Creator. That's a lot to be thankful for. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we are humbled by this and we're thankful for this and we... we, we don't have the ability to to focus on this in and of ourselves. Lord God, I pray that each one of us would have the ability. We're we're all coming from different walks of life, from different, uh, different spectrums on the journey of life. And wherever we are, I would ask you, God, that we'd have the ability to just think about the fact that it's not about me and it's not even just about others. It's about you. It's about God. 
Teach us that truth. Help us to live it. Help it to be reflected in how we live. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.